Hey everyone, this is Sean Johnson, and this is episode two of this Rutgers podcast. Today's episode, The Politics of Innovation. So office politics, I think, uh, get a bad rap. The phrase is typically used to refer to sleazy posturing or sucking up or cutting others down, uh, which are all bad things. But uh, politics doesn't have to be a dirty word. Uh, Politics is really, uh, at the end of the day, about execution. It's about building consensus, uh, getting the right people on board, um, moving your ideas through an organization in a very systematic way until they become uh, almost a foregone conclusion. And if you look at most organizations, you'll find that the people who rise uh, the fastest are the best uh, politicians. And in our time at Digital Intent, working with innovation teams, almost every single time, the ones who are able to overcome, you know, often massive barriers and inertia that are preventing change, uh, they are always people who are gifted at politics. And it's certainly not a replacement for talent. You still have to be great at what you do. But uh, if you were given two people that had the, you know, the same skill set, the more gifted politician would win every single time. And so uh, these are some of the things that I've learned or observed over the years on what what makes a good politician. And hopefully this will be helpful for you in your own uh, innovation initiatives. Rule number one uh, is stop carpet bombing your idea. And so you see it all the time. Uh, Someone has an idea, um, they open up their email or Slack, they write a couple of paragraphs, they hit send, and then they think their job is done. They sort of wait for the congratulations to pour in and for everybody to talk about what an amazing idea it is and for everybody to kind of stop what they're doing and immediately get the ball rolling to make their idea happen. And what happens instead is usually nothing. this is what I call carpet bombing your idea. You basically drop an idea on everyone else's head and expect them to take it and run with it. But of course, they have other things that they're working on. They have other pressures that they're facing. Uh, the last thing that they want to think about is how to make your little fledgling of an idea happen. And they realize, and you should realize, that an idea is worth basically nothing Uh, kind of without execution and without often sort of a lot of hustle. And so if you want to see change happen, you need to stop um, just dropping the idea in the middle of the meeting or uh, stop the mass CC and uh, and then getting frustrated when that doesn't work. It's going to have to start with you uh, and it's going to take a little bit more work than that. Rule number two is to build a reputation as a doer. So when your team is evaluating your idea, they're not just thinking about the merits of the idea. Uh, Usually, even if it's subconscious, they're also asking themselves whether they think the idea is going to work, uh, because if it doesn't work, they're going to look bad uh, if they put their political capital behind it. And then they're also asking themselves if you're the right person to pull it off. And if the answer to either of those questions is a no, then the idea dies. And... I'll talk a little bit more about solving that first question a little bit later, but to solve the second one in terms of whether or not you're the person to pull it off, I think the answer is to become known as somebody who gets things done. And the best way to do that is what we call uh, at DI um, microvation, uh, which is basically the process of just taking 
little tasks, often crappy tasks that nobody else wants, and turning them into something awesome. And what's great about microvation is that literally anybody can do it inside of an organization, regardless of their level. Um, every single task is an opportunity to be just a little bit innovative. So uh, if you're the intern and you're picking up lunch, you can turn that into a lunch and learn series, you know, and uh, bring smart people in to learn from. Uh, maybe you're printing out the new employee paperwork uh, and you could turn that into an amazing onboarding experience that makes new hires feel really welcome and is kind of differentiated. Um, maybe you were tasked with customer support um, and you decide to turn that into a project to have the best support site in the world with really great FAQs and ridiculously fast, helpful responses. Um, maybe you're tasked with writing blog posts for your site and you decide to turn that uh, into the first step of a more robust kind of marketing automation process that drives um, you know, more leads for your business. So I think literally any opportunity is an opportunity to be innovative uh, regardless of your position. And so um, start small, start with the things that are directly in front of you and always ask yourself, how can I reframe this in a way to make it a little bit better and then execute on that. And over time you'll develop a reputation as someone uh, who can make things happen. Start with a story uh, is rule number three. Um, and the story is usually going to be associated with pain in some way. Um, my good friend Craig Wortman uh, teaches an amazing class uh, up at Kellogg on entrepreneurial selling. And he talks constantly about the power of story. Uh, people make emotional decisions and they use data to sort of justify their choice after the fact. And stories uh, have an ability to kind of hijack a part of our brain. It's, a, it's We're sort of wired for stories and they make us sit up and listen and and uh, the stories stick in our minds after we, after we leave a presentation or after a meeting ends or whatever. And so um, learning how to leverage stories and how to tell great stories is a really, really useful tool uh, in your sort of political toolkit. Uh, and the best stories tend to be um, associated with pain. So people will respond more to fear of loss than the opportunity for gain. And so um, paint a picture of, of sort of how bleak things are and how you can't possibly stay where you are and make it clear that it's imperative that the organization kind of go from point A uh, to point B and your stories will have that much more sort of emotional resonance and make it much more likely that people um, want to be sort of galvanized for action. Rule number four is to know your stuff cold. So the stories matter, um, but so does the evidence to sort of back up your story, right? So people make an emotional decision, but then they still are going to need that data to back up the decision. Um, so before you start talking about your new idea, you want to make sure that you've got your case buttoned down and put together as well as possible. You want to make sure you have good data, um, you know, backing you up, uh, talking to customers or uh, secondary data or whatever it is. Um, don't be afraid to leverage the work of experts here because um, very often a uh, re reputable expert's opinion even if you don't know them, even if you're just citing something that they wrote or something that they, they discussed or a framework maybe that, they've, that they developed um, will give your idea a little bit more credibility than if you're just sort of coming up with it out of the blue. The other thing here is to try to anticipate, again, think like a salesperson and anticipate the objections 
that you are likely to encounter and think through how you plan on overcoming those objections uh, in advance. So all of this pre-meeting uh, prep or pre-presentation prep is going to be, be vital versus sort of walking in and kind of winging it. So that's uh, rule number four is to know your stuff cold. Rule number five, uh, a prototype is worth a thousand meetings. So immediately when you have the idea, begin working on the prototype. Um, and this can be a document, it could be a presentation, uh, it could be a clickable demo of something, it could be working software if that's something that you are capable of doing, uh, it could be whatever you want. Um, but the point is to give something people uh, people can start kind of latch on to. Um, you know, it, it demonstrates that you actually have a little bit of momentum behind this idea and that there's actually something there. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a meeting um, where as soon as you give people something visual or something uh, even written to respond to, uh, it can it can clear log jams. And even if people's feedback is critical, it's it's giving them something tangible that they can respond to um, and give them an opportunity to provide much more concrete feedback, which um, isn't necessarily a bad thing. And as we'll discuss in a little bit, is actually really important in shaping your idea and kind of moving it through an organization. So create a prototype, get in front of people as quickly as possible and be prepared to change it, you know, however many times it takes um, because every single change is kind of a chance to improve your prototype uh, and recruit supporters kind of in the process. Um, we talk a lot about, you know, at DI, the idea of customer development and showing um, new solutions to customers. The same is true even with internal stakeholders. Get something real in front of them and give them something to respond to. Rule number six is to build a board. So when you really want to make things happen, uh, one of the downsides is that you can really quickly become uh, blinded to maybe some of the flaws in your thinking and, and start to develop some tunnel vision. And what I found is really helpful in avoiding that is to have somebody on your team or even people who are outside of your organization who can privately tell you when you're full of it, basically. Um, you know, it, it's much, much better to have those people tell you that than to have your boss kill the idea, uh, you know, in that group presentation that you're making. Um, and so find, find somebody or even better, you know, find a group, um, you know, old bosses or subject matter experts. It's a great networking opportunity to reach out to them or internal team members. But um, people who know ideally enough about your industry or the domain in which you're trying to operate in with this idea that they can give you candid feedback. Um, as well as people who know you well enough, or at least one of these people knows, knows you well enough to kind of tell when you personally are about to lose control. So, um, you know, get somebody who can call you out, um, at least privately, and ideally get a couple of those folks and, and build a board. Rule number seven is to never, ever retaliate. So if you're trying to change things, if you're trying to change the status quo in some way, there is always going to be some form of organizational inertia, and there are always going to be people who maybe don't want that change, and they might put up a fight. Um, sometimes it's it's private, at least with you. Um, sometimes it's very public, right? Uh, and uh, if you if the thing that you're doing is worth doing, you need to be aware that that's going to be happening because change is upsetting to people. Um, but no matter how aggressively they try to kill your idea, um, even if their objections are super poorly thought out, or even if they just sort of get personal, or even if they, you know, kind of play cheap games, uh, it's important that you always keep your cool. 
Um, as soon as you lose control of your emotions, um, you know, you kind of fall into their, their trap and you're no longer kind of playing um, a game that's sort of based on um, kind of rational decision making or based on what's sort of in the best interest of the business. And losing control of your emotions isn't going to improve the substance of your ideas at all, right? And so um, being in control, um, anticipating those objections as much as possible, responding calmly, um, and, and sort of being very patient with some folks. Sometimes folks just need time to wrap their head around an idea. Uh, and as soon as they start to see momentum, um, you know, uh, maybe they're political animals themselves and they, you know, their, their tune will change. Um, so you never want to kind of burn a bridge. You never want to retaliate. You never want to lose your cool, always kind of stay in control. Rule number eight, forget about credit. Um, this might be the most important rule, uh, actually. Uh, I don't know why I didn't put it first, but um, the people who are the best at building consensus know that the key is to make others feel like it was their idea. And as you formulate your idea, um, you know, there, there are things that you can do. Like you could plan in advance for areas that you're willing to compromise on. So when you're doing that pre-meeting prep or whatever, and you're anticipating objections, ask yourself, like, is this an area where I'm willing to compromise, right? There, there will always be some, and knowing in advance um, is actually a really useful tool because it will allow others to kind of co-create your idea um, without losing sort of the essence of it or the things that you think are kind of critically important in order for it to actually be effective, right? And by doing that, as soon as you, um, as soon as you take a piece of feedback and you compromise and you say, hey, that's a great idea, I'm going to fold that in, now you've given others a chance to feel some ownership and they're much, much more likely to go to bat for their own idea, right, um, that they had uh, their hand in than an idea where you're kind of not willing to play ball at all. So, um, and it's going to be important to, I mean, in order to do that, that means you have to be willing to uh, ultimately kind of share the credit, right? And when you're presenting to other people say, hey, you know, that was Tom's great idea or Alice's great idea or whatever. Um, and if you're trying to kind of hog all the credit yourself, that's, uh, you're not going to be willing to kind of do that. So uh, forget about credit and um, always kind of be looking for opportunities to kind of fold other people's feedback in as long as it, it, uh, it doesn't uh, kind of kill the essence of the idea itself. Rule number nine is to sell laterally or even down uh, before selling up. And there's different opinions about this. Uh, this has just sort of been what I've seen to be more effective. But um, I think building a base of support um, is a great idea before you try to push an initiative kind of up the food chain. Um, you know, get a, a groundswell of people who've seen the concept, they've given you feedback that you've now incorporated, right? Making it uh, their idea now too. Um, and, and let them sort of help you kind of build enthusiasm. Uh, that way when you walk into that meeting, many of those people are probably going to be in that meeting. You've already kind of got them on board versus, um, you know, kind of starting at the top and seeing how they're going to handle it. And uh, very often uh, there are folks that are going to kind of look, uh, look up to uh, the boss maybe and see kind of what their perspective is before they're willing to kind of make up their own mind. Uh, so if you start kind of uh, at their level first, um, you're much more likely to kind of get them on board um, and not necessarily worry about um, them primarily thinking about whether, um, you know, the boss thinks it's a great idea or not. 
uh, and there'll be advocates for you uh, kind of as you're selling it up when the time comes. Uh, you know, maybe in the meeting, someone's going to ask, what do you think? And they'll say, I think that's actually a really great idea, right? So, so sell laterally or even, uh, even down to folks, identify folks that are going to be helpful kind of as you're trying to kind of move this thing forward um, before you start the process of selling it up. Rule number 10, when you do sell up, uh, start in private. So your boss uh, is most likely busy and has a lot of things going on, and they probably don't want to be surprised <laughs> in a big meeting with uh, this new initiative of yours that's going to require most likely a lot of change, right? So um, you want to begin your pitch before the pitch, if that makes sense. By now you have a prototype probably, uh, hopefully, that's been tested uh, with internal people and maybe with, even with external people. You've got this groundswell of people who are kind of excited about the idea. And once you have a sufficient amount of evidence, now you introduce the idea in private, right? It gives the boss a chance to push back maybe more gently. Um, they're not worried about you know wasting everybody else's time. Um, and ideally, they're going to provide feedback that you now, of course, incorporate, right? Um, I, I, I think this is super, super important, right? You're, you, one of your primary jobs is to make your boss look good, right? And so you want to give them a nice package, um, back it up by data, let them tweak it so that they feel ownership. And then, like I said, let them take the credit, right? They're, they're not going to forget that this was yours. Most of the time, they're going to pass the credit right back to you anyway. Um, but, but package it up for them, share it with them privately, um, let them get used to the idea, let them provide feedback on the idea, get them on board. Don't surprise them in the big meeting. Rule number 11, find a champion. So the champion might be your boss. Um, hopefully it's your boss, but often it isn't. Um, a champion is almost always somebody though who's above you. Maybe it was a former boss. Maybe it's somebody who takes an interest in you. Um, they, maybe they see a younger version of themselves or whatever, but the champion is going to be the person who kind of fights the fights that you don't have the capital to win. Um, they'll be that kind of persuasive kind of, uh, back channel influence behind closed doors. They'll be the person to kind of tell you when it's not, you know, worth pursuing when you don't have, um, you know, the, 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 the weight that you need behind it. Um, but they'll also be the people that'll go to bat for you when there is. Um, try to find that person. In most cases, um, it's probably going to need to be your boss because in many cases, folks kind of haven't done the necessary sort of work of kind of building um, building kind of a base of support. They're not, they're very often, they're not even on the radars of, um, you know, folks that are above them that are not, you know, their, their, their boss directly. Um, but um, the champion is going to be really, really helpful for you. Uh, uh, when it kind of gets down to brass tacks. So try to figure out who your champion is. Rule number 12 is to shower your supporters with love. So I'm sure you've heard the platitude that it's, you know, eight times harder to get a new customer than to keep a current one, or maybe it's 10 or 12 or whatever it is, but you get the idea. Um, the same is true with, uh, I think with selling your ideas and, um, just like most, not most, but many, many companies make the mistake of neglecting their, their, you know, their customers at the expense of kind of going get, to get new ones. Um, very often people will make the mistake of neglecting their supporters, right? So don't assume that because they were intrigued uh, initially um, that they're going to be willing to continue to expend their political capital uh, for you. You know, if, if you don't keep them in the loop as things progress, um, 
they they uh, might not necessarily do that, right? So remind them how important they are throughout the process. Keep them updated on a regular basis. Um, take the time out to to invite them out to coffee or a beer or whatever periodically. Ask for their advice. Um, look for other opportunities to kind of incorporate their feedback. Don't don't think of it as, hey, I sold you once and now I'm done, right? Um, throughout the process, you need to kind of keep your supporters in the loop and, and make them feel um, make them feel involved, make them feel special. Rule number 13, clients are powerful allies. Um, this one's pretty obvious, but it's, it's easy to discount the ideas of internal team members. It's much more difficult to discount the ideas of team members who have the support of a lot of clients. It's one of the reasons why salespeople uh, in many organizations have sort of a disproportionate amount of influence on shaping a product because they have a direct line to the customer, right? So uh, keeping... Uh, revenue, growing revenue can be a very, very powerful motivator to overcome, iner- overcome inertia. So um, if you have direct access to clients, obviously try to leverage that. Um, if you don't, try to get people on your team who do and uh, get um, the feedback. I can't tell you how many times the the feedback of customers has been the thing that kind of ultimately swung a potential idea in favor for one of our clients. Um, as soon as they got that prototype and they went out and they started showing it to customers and seeing their eyes light up and talking about, oh, I, you know, getting feedback around willingness to pay and how much they'd be willing to pay. And oh, by the way, you know who else could really use something like this would be, you know, Bob and, and Nancy over in such and such, right? Um, that's really, really powerful feedback. And it could be qualitative and you don't have to have it be um, statistically significant. Uh, again, uh, anecdotal stories are, are, are very, very powerful when you're trying to sell the ideas. So um, getting feedback, getting testimonials, getting, um, getting clients excited is one of the best things that you can do to try to move an idea forward. Rule number 14, don't give them a stupid reason to say no. Um, you know, one of the things that my dad used to always tell me growing up was uh, show up on time, do what you say you'll do, say please and thank you, right? Um, simple stuff, but uh, they were really easy ways to avoid having somebody say no, right? Being the person who shows up late to every meeting hurts your political capital, whether you realize it or not. Um, being the sloppy dresser or being the brings tuna fish to lunch guy, um, none of these things have anything to do with the merits of your idea, but when people are evaluating your idea, they're bringing their sometimes subconscious perceptions of you as a person into their decision-making process, right? And so show up on time, do what you say you'll do, say please and thank you, um, dress like somebody who actually wants to make things happen, don't try to steamroll people, don't hog credit, um, don't take personal calls in your office or hang out on Facebook all day, right? Don't give anybody a dumb reason to discount your ideas. Rule number 15, thank people a lot. Um, one of the best pieces of advice one of my former mentors gave me was to pick up a box of nice stationery and actually use it. Um, and so whenever somebody internal or external, um, you know, lets them show you your prototype, thank them. Whenever they give you feedback that makes the idea better, thank them. Whenever, um, they recruit another ally to your cause, thank them. Whenever somebody goes to bat for you in any way, uh, in a meeting or risk some of their own capital, thank them. Get in the habit of thanking people. Um, we just, we don't thank each other enough. 
Um, and that is an opportunity for you. Uh, people, a, a genuine heartfelt thank you, you know, written down on a card uh, with your actual handwriting, um, they probably get one thank you card a year, right? And it's probably from their niece uh, for their, you know, their, their birthday present. So um, certainly not from other members of their team. And it'll make a big, big difference. So get in the habit of thanking people, buy a box of stationery, and uh, start using it. Rule number 16, brag, but not about yourself. So there's nothing wrong with taking uh, uh, time to talk about the successes that your projects are having and the momentum that you're getting. People like being associated with things that have momentum, right? And if you communicate the progress that you're making, uh, very often you're going to find more people start to jump on board. Um, but if you're just sort of, again, patting yourself on the back the whole time, you're going to rub people the wrong way. So um, bears repeating, give the credit to literally everybody else. Uh, as long as you direct the praise to everyone else but you, uh, or even just to the, the, the idea itself, people are going to love to hear about the progress the initiative is making, and they're especially going to love to hear about it when, uh, when they had a hand in it, right? So brag, but not about yourself. Rule number 17, you are in sales. And, you know, I guess this you could say that all of these things are kind of related to that, but the idea is that everybody is a salesperson, right? You're, you're selling your friends on where to go to dinner. You're selling your girlfriend or your spouse or whatever on plans for the weekend. And you are definitely selling your internal team on this big idea um, that's going to change things for your company, right? So become a student of sales. Even if you've never taken a class before, uh, learn how to build rapport, learn how to uncover needs, um, learn how to position solutions, overcome objections, learn how to follow up, right? Follow up is one of those sort of key skills. Um, everybody sort of assumes um, that everybody reads every single thing that they send them and, and odds are they don't. Uh, learn how to ask for the close, right? Study uh, great presenters. Look at uh, TED Talks or Apple Keynotes and, and make notes. Study the way that they, they, you know, they structure their presentation, the pacing and the progression. Um, very often they will make um, use of kind of negative space and make pauses, right? Uh, they'll emphasize certain areas. Um, notice when they kind of focus on emotional appeal versus facts, right? Um, become a student of sales. Uh, you're in sales even if you don't realize it, and the only real question is whether or not you're good at it. So take the time and take the effort to, to get good at it. Rule number 18, listen to objections, really. So objections to your idea are not uh, obstacles to just barrel through, right? They are very likely legitimate holes in your idea. Um, and so, you know, giving people an opportunity to co-create is obviously one of the best tools in your toolbox. We've already talked about that. You know, once an idea um, has had... Um, their feedback incorporated it's their idea too and you definitely want to leverage it but um there's just the real fundamental uh, aspect of it too which is this that you don't know everything and odds are some of your assumptions or some of your hypotheses are going to be wrong right and so um truly listen when your colleagues challenge you on points and brainstorm with them on how um, you might be able to overcome some of the obstacles or pitfalls that they bring up right um if uh they raise something that's kind of a barrier to uh, to getting them on board, you know, ask the question, if I can address this issue, will I have your support? 
right? And, and actually listen to what they have to say. Um, so objections are not bad things. They are helping you uh, identify where areas of weakness are in your idea. So listen to them, um, ask follow-up questions, uh, and, and truly take their advice into consideration. Rule number 19, make sure your rollout plan includes early wins. Um, so before the rollout, right, you're selling this grand vision. Everyone's super excited. But once the idea gets into the real world and makes contact with customers or internal team members that are using it, the rubber you know, really meets the road and enthusiasm can wane really, really quickly. So it's really important um, to think about how to get some quick wins uh, baked into uh, your sort of launch strategy and to plan for those in advance. Um, and to frame it for people so that they have good expectations. Um, stress the fact that the primary purpose of your initial pilot is to learn and improve, right? You're expecting that there are going to be parts of it that are going to be wrong. And your goal is to get it out in front of people as quickly as you can so that you can capture that feedback and figure out what part of your idea is busted and improve it, right? Um, but uh, stress that, stress what improvement looks like or stress what quick wins uh, actually look like. Make sure everybody's on board with that before you launch so that you're not in for a rude awakening when you do go live and the product or idea or implementation or whatever isn't uh, 100% of what it could be um, and people's enthusiasm starts to wane. Anticipate that, plan for it, and have a strategy for how you're going to kind of frame things for people and, and get some of those early wins. And our last rule, rule number 20, is to not go for the home run swing. Um, if you're in a savvy organization, um, odds are you're not going to get the approval to do the full rollout anyway. But if they, if you did, uh, you still shouldn't try. Um, and we're big fans, you know, we, we cut our teeth in the startup world and that's how we, um, you know, all the partners at DI started our careers. And it's something that we've kind of brought to bear, uh, you know, doing innovation work for our clients. Um, and it's something I think that, you know, they're not necessarily used to, but uh, we're big advocates of taking a page from the startup world here. Do a limited launch. Um, startups usually do that because they're resource constrained, but it's, it's usually the best way to go about doing things anyway. Um, be a concierge, right? H uh, handhold your beta testers through your process. Um, stay as close as possible to them and collect their honest feedback. Use it as an opportunity, again, to learn and to patch up the parts of your process that are busted and then get some more people in there and see how they use it and iterate on that again and again and again until you get to what we sort of call in the startup world product market fit. Um, get to whatever the equivalent is of that uh, for your initiative. The best initiatives, in my opinion, tend to look small early on, right? They have um, sufficient air cover and maybe even a lack of visibility to sort of make their mistakes and take their lumps and improve before they're ready for prime time, right? Um, and that sounds a little bit counterintuitive, uh, I think, for a lot of people because the big launch sounds really exciting, right? You're on everybody's radar and the project is, is designed to make a big dent in the way that things are done at the company. Um, but just history says there's a lot of carnage with projects that are that visible, right? And your margin for error is much, much smaller. And there is almost always error, right? So start small, learn as much as you can, get momentum. Um, you're, I think you're a lot more likely to make a dent that way. 
Uh, it just might take a little bit longer. So that's it. Um, as you can see, I tend to believe that politics can be a force for good, uh, both for your company uh, and for your career itself. Uh, you can use them to remove log jams, to move these ideas that you have forward, to create lasting impact inside of your organization. Um, I think it's a, it's a really, really useful set of tools to kind of have to uh, increase your influence and to actually make things happen inside of your company. So. Uh, my advice kind of in closing would be to stop pretending like politics don't exist in your company and and stop pretending that they're inherently bad. They're not necessarily bad. Um, you have a bunch of different people with a bunch of different perspectives and viewpoints and, uh, you know, um, initiatives that they care about. And there's a, there's a natural tension there and there's a tug and pull and um, people are kind of looking out for their own careers and looking out for their own initiatives, right? And so recognizing all of that and identifying strategies for how you're going to navigate that reality um, will make it much more likely that you can make great things happen inside of your organization. So that's it for this episode. I'd love to hear what you think. Um, if you are listening to this inside of Anchor, feel free to send me a note. Uh, uh, would love any sort of feedback that you have. You can also send me an email personally at sean, that's S-E-A-N, at digintent.com. Uh, until next time, thank you for listening to The Disruptors.